nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name's Devin. We got the band back together. We got everyone here. Seth, who knows everything. Brad Tillery. Charles Peacock from the False Nine. Two Jossie game winners in a week. We got it all. We'll start with you, Brad. Where are we at? Uh, pretty damn happy, man. I don't know how you can't be. Plus, we got Open Cup here coming up. This is great. Seth? Yeah, we're on a home run right now. We don't actually play a game outside of Texas in the next couple weeks. And we're finally getting some momentum. And we're doing this without Driussi or well, Diego, except for a few minutes here or there. All right. We'll answer that question in a minute. Charles, how are you feeling? You know, life's good. It's it's beautiful outside. United and Austin won on the same day. You know, let's do this. That up. <laughs> we finally did it. It only took the creation of FSCito losing to break the curse. Hey. All right. I don't want to hear yeah. any uh, Oscar Verhoeven talk in here. I look, I'm fine. That is a very, very pointed joke for people. Um, I love our, I love our FSCito boys, but I am fine with them losing every game of first team wins because ultimately FSCito is about development, right? So people are not going to like that, but it is what it is. It's about development. Let's go. Correct. All right. First round table question. We'll start with Charles. Which Zardes goal was better? Uh. It has to be the one on on Saturday. One, it's a it's a game. It's the clear game winner in extra time. Uh, two, that's a tougher finish than I think people are respecting. Because um, if you look at how many Toronto players, including Sean Johnson, who refused to come out and get the ball and just stood there on the line, um, <laughs> were there, there weren't actually that many open spots there for him to head that in, um, and it really took a very targeted header to score. Brad, same opinion. Yeah, same opinion. I thought Saturday's was better. It also kind of <laughs> – you remember at the beginning of the year, Matt, uh, uh, Zardes said, I'm one of those guys that's always in the right spots. And you kind of didn't want to see that. Well, there it was on Saturday night. Uh, he actually said in the post game, he read the play and saw what Lima was doing and just kind of parked himself there. Uh, I thought it was very heads-up play. I was I want to stop for a second and acknowledge Lima's little backhead flick effort because that thing damn near went in too would have been a hell of a way to get his first goal in Austin. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought Saturday was degree of difficulty. Guys just there that could have headed it away. And he put it picture perfect with a spot where no one could get I guess I'll, I'll be the counter person here and argue that the Wednesday goal was a little better at a certain point. Because just getting that first goal, especially like – I mean, he looked exhausted out there. But he found himself again in the right spot and was able to finish it home and get that first goal off of his back there to give us the 2-0 lead was absolutely huge and is building up his confidence. I mean, maybe we just need to have salary release day um, every time to go motivate our players. Yeah, we need to keep like a, a billboard, sort of like they used to keep like home run tabs or uh, strikeout tabs in – the outfield and you just show uh, his salary per goal going down every time he scores. Uh, that's my plan at least. And uh, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say both because one was a great header and one was a very good situational play that's underrated. Like Charles said, and uh, we need needed both to win. So um, here we are. We got two uh, Zardes winners in a week and I don't know what to do with myself. Hmm. Okay. I mean, we found our U.S. men's means our U.S. men's striker again, right? That, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, I'll go ahead and get on the horn with Flo and let him know that he should go ahead and uh, reconsider and try to go back to England. Um, but yeah, let's let's kind of talk about both games. I thought Seattle, a lot of people were writing off. And I never feel that way about a game, especially, you know, it's a long league season. You don't necessarily have to throw out your best players. But as we've seen teenagers beat us before, like, you don't just throw in the towel. You kind of at least give it a decent shot. And we did. And uh, we had a couple of good goals. And um, we get our first win in Cascadia. Seth, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I was... And, and there are the receipts to prove this. So I was like, hey, look at it. We were, I think there were a lot of people that were really down after the Frisco match. And admittedly, I didn't join you on the pod for that one. But it was like, we didn't actually play that badly in that match. And we had beaten New Mexico. We got a draw in Portland. In Seattle, yes, they were top of the table. But, like, they barely won in Houston when they had a two-man advantage. Like, this team had not been playing that well. Their really strong results had been earlier in the season. They were depleted as well as a side. And that we were... So they were right for the picking. I mean, don't get me wrong. See, if that match is played 10 times, Seattle probably wins it seven out of 10 times. Their XG was nearly um, two goals higher than ours. But at the same time, we finished opportunities. They didn't. And we have Brad Stuver and they don't. Yeah, I mean, really, we took our chances. They didn't. That's sometimes how this game shakes out, right? Um. I don't think we played as kind of like, uh, if you look at the XG model, I don't think we played as bunker down as it sort of seems. We were pretty active in the first half, and even up until the Zardes goal, I thought we were kind of playing a bit progressive and uh, actually trying to move the ball forward, which is a little weird to see. But uh, we did the podcast last Sunday, and it was very sunny, and everyone felt weird afterwards. Uh, Charles, what did you think about Seattle? Uh, no, I think I think most of the pessimism was just from it being an away match during during midweek, which I think is always pretty difficult, if I remember right. I think Austin was the only road team that won that day, um, which is kind of a weird thing to think about in terms of MLS yeah, and you're right. field advantage. And, um, you know, Seattle was missing a lot of guys, and they kind of – they do this weird thing where um, when they play Jordan Morris up front as a striker, he, he scores or creates really good chances like he did on Wednesday, but then they spend two-thirds of the match playing him out on the left wing. That doesn't really make any sense. And uh, they kept letting uh, a bear uh, be kind of their like primary focal point in the attack of who to pass to. And that he kind of showed why he's a career backup. Yeah. He missed an absolute golden chance right at the end too. uh, That would have salvaged a point for them. And I thought it was weird. I thought it was kind of a highly rated guy leaving city going out to uh, that city, not city um, going out to Seattle. But I guess we kind of saw why maybe Brad, any thoughts? Yeah, I thought – I'm with Seth. I actually have some receipts that said I thought we had a shot to at least pull a point on Wednesday last week. I wasn't necessarily expecting a win. But the form from Seattle was not great coming into that match, and anybody watching could see that. And we had talked, you know, after the Dallas game on this podcast that that performance against FC Dallas, even though it was a loss for Austin, wasn't as bad as, you know, uh, a drop three points at home would normally look. So not shocked that necessarily we got a point. Shocked that we did pull the win, especially because you mentioned the XG numbers. The chance creation really wasn't there in the first half, despite, I thought, us dominating game flow. Um, Because I really did feel like we had better possession, better ideas, better buildup than Seattle uh, during the first half, but just couldn't get a chance creation. It was nice to see Finley finally take, or somebody in the box, just take a one-time hit and see what happens. 
Um, and it's nice to see Finley get on the score sheet. So I, the Seattle game was certainly a shocking result in the fact that we got all three. Not shocked that we did get a point, though. Yeah, and I mean, it was a, a great finish from Finley. He he takes the ball and sets himself really well on kind of like, not a broken play, but it, it falls a little behind everybody else and goes to him, and he just places it well, and bang, that's a goal, and sometimes that's all you need to do. So um, hopefully we can learn something from that. And, uh, I mean, we go in one nothing at halftime. I was very, very happy with that, thinking, okay, we hold them a little bit. Maybe they score a late one. We get a draw. Fine, whatever. Um, and then the unthinkable happens. And we get a very, very beautiful uh, Giassi Zardes goal, his first for Austin FC question. And we'll start with Seth. Was that where he meant to head the ball? I don't know, and I don't care. Like, at a certain point, like, <laughs> no, I think that's the right answer. Like, this is a man who has specialized in scoring some of the most absurd goals. And at a certain like, if the ball goes in, I'm not going to ask too many questions about it, especially after seeing the first three months of the season where he couldn't pay to hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah, I mean, we were begging on this podcast, like, somebody just shoot it in off of him or it'd go off his knee and like a weird ricochet. And uh, so I thought I, I've seen people bandying about bandying it about so i thought it was a weird question but i figured i'd pose it to you uh yeah i don't give a shit i think he does that on purpose it's a nice uh glancing header took a a little bit of a note from rodney on it um charles do you care uh no i mean they we don't ask how we ask we ask how many how many yeah um i i do think that he was aiming it toward the goal which i think counts (laughs) as aiming uh but yeah you know he scored that's all that matters yeah. Uh, how was the, I guess it wasn't supporter section end, but how was the uh, general party in Rodney land? Was it similar? Or does Jossie not count as much as the uh, Rodney well, contingent? Well, the Seattle game was on the road. If we're talking yeah, about yeah that's that. what I was saying. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I think we just have a much more emotional connection to Rodney because we've rooted for him for so long. And I think Zardes, like, as much as we all want him to, to succeed, he is kind of like the new guy. Um, and I think a lot of us was just kind of, uh, um, we felt good to finally see him score. And hopefully that's like a sign of things to come, which to some extent it was, um, just because we want the team to do well. Yeah, and okay. I, I think I mean uh, Zardes is a lovely human being. Like I, I think that he will endear himself to fans here. But like there hasn't been. I mean Rodney's been here for two and a half years. It feels like we've been with him on this struggle. Where, but I do want to um, shout out in the, the more literal sense. We had thirty fans travel to Seattle on a Wednesday night in May. If I was looking on Reddit at the MLS away fans and like no one else had fans that were traveling in numbers on a Wednesday night, and especially to go 2000 miles across the country. And like, it was great to see some smiling faces in the right color of Verde um, up in Seattle, celebrating that goal going, going out of their minds. So that, that brings joy to my heart. Uh, did anyone worry we were going to lose that game after Zardes scored? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially the two amazing chances Seattle had late in the game. One of those at least should have gone in. And credit to Stuber for the unbelievable save um, on the cross into the box. But there were two or three chances that I thought Seattle probably should have or at least could have put away. Yeah, I didn't get nervous until Montero put that one away. And then I went, oh, shit, here we go. Uh, after watching a few two uh, zero bucklings on my Premier League team recently, it was... Uh, Quite a bit of uh, suffering from joy there. 
Uh, I don't but... know. In a weird, in a weird way, I was confident at that moment, even after Montero scored, and that it, it's it's weird because like I shouldn't be confident with this team. There's no logical reason to do that. But we pulled off the same match day last year as so we pulled off the two one win at LAFC, which was involved all sorts of drama and it felt like a similar win in terms of maybe the trajectory of a season, even if we're nowhere near the top of the table, like we were after winning that one. Yeah. But it feels like a statement win, right? Yes. Or a a fuck you win or a fuck off win. Hey, we're here. You will respect us. That sort of thing. For sure. But I also want to couple act with make sure we understand Seattle lost again on Saturday night. A two nothing drop dropped one in Seattle or dropped one in Vancouver two nothing so that means what that's three of their last four league matches that they've lost four or five overall and the only win was against a nine man Houston side like that team's in bad form right now they're Seattle they're in bad form at a certain point of the season but with nine of fourteen teams making the playoffs I don't want to go play them yeah. come October oh November. no no I definitely still don't want to go back up there. Yeah, no, I think for no, them no. it's all about health and getting everybody back. Like, once they get everybody back, like, they'll be a danger again, assuming that they can keep those guys healthy because they've kind of shown over the last couple of years that they can't do that. Um, but, I mean, they're still going to be – when playoff time comes around, if they're healthy, they're not going to be somebody we want to go play. But you're just – the health word is what I take away from our team. And Seth had alluded to it earlier, but we're doing all this basically without Fagundes and without <clears throat> Jariusi. Fagundes played a little bit both games, but not a ton. Um, I think we're building more depth and we talked about the depth coming into this year. People were worried. And then as long as we have our Cineback situation settled and it looks like Radovanovic is going to be an answer for us. I thought he had a really good game up in Seattle in his start. Um, I, I think we have a real chance to make a deeper run this year, not only a playoff run, it's hard to go much deeper than last year, but a, a threatening run. But then Open Cup, obviously, we can t- we're taken seriously, it appears. And Leagues Cup, where there's going to be two matches a week. That game, that that all of a sudden, the narrative on that tournament for me changes because I feel we can rotate guys out and wholesale four or five changes during a, a, a match week and still be okay and have a competitive squad out there after what I saw over the last few matches. Yeah, I agree. This is not 2021 where, like, anytime we didn't trot out the starting 11, there was just, like, a 3-0 or 4-0 loss. Like, they, like you, can, you can look at it, especially up front, of how much depth there is, of how many guys we feel confident about playing in those two kind of attacking mid-dual 10 winger spots. Um, you know, I think that depth's up to, you know, five once Dreesy's healthy. Yeah, and this is one of the benefits, too, of being a little bit more of a system team is you kind of plug and play, folks. It's not you have this one wild card. I mean, we do with Driussi, but we've been uh, moving away against it a little bit. Um, It's much easier to just kind of look down the bench and say next man up. And we're getting those reps right now. And it's a little bit exciting, if you guys don't mind me saying. Yeah, I know I got yelled at before for being cheery on this podcast, so I just want to make sure it's okay with everyone. As I was saying, I mean, we, we could be cheery because, I mean, you have to have some joy to begin suffering, right? That's true. Also true. But I don't know how – and I'm sorry, I'm eating dinner as we do this. I don't know how you can see Sophie and Jafal's performance the other night and Johan Valencia's performances the last few matches and not be excited and go, holy crap, you know, if we lose Danny to his annual red card at some point, I feel okay. 
with Jafal stepping in or Valencia stepping in and playing that night and that we're not just going to completely fall apart. It's things like that 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 make me very excited about this team right now. In addition to GC and Fagundes, we're doing this without Owen Wolf down in Argentina, who had a great assist on Saturday afternoon to uh, beat Ecuador in the first game of the U20 World Cup. Like, this team has depth, and we're going to keep building it up, and it's, it's an exciting place to be. And we're all excited. Um, anybody agree? Uh, I want to put a button on Seattle here. Um, if Jordan Morris scores that shot in, I want to say it's the 84th minute that Stuver saves, we lose that game. Everybody, anybody, everybody agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that seemed like an, if they get two, they get three. Yeah, clearly. Uh, pretty easy one for me. Okay, so we're all excited. And we head into Saturday against a Canadian team from the Eastern Conference. Pretty good record there. Um Weird thing to begin the game. They didn't actually have anybody sing the Canadian national anthem. I don't think we've ever had anyone sing the Canadian national anthem at the stadium. It's almost always been the recording. Really? No, because we had someone do it. No, somebody sang it for Montreal this year for sure. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was the same person would sing both anthems. That's happened before. You know what though? And this is going to sound really weird. I wonder if they typically use the same person for singing the Canadian national anthem. And I, well, I guess the stars weren't in town, but I was like, this, the hockey players are stars. Going. Yeah, the, the hockey players are going on. I was wondering if maybe the uh, the anthem singer was taken up, but I guess they had a different night. So I have no idea why they didn't do that. I mean, maybe they just didn't want O Canada overshadow the Star Spangled Banner because it's such a better anthem, and like they were trying to like hinder it a little bit by not having it, somebody sing it. It really is a top tier anthem. <laughs> it is. It is a world. But the question now, I mean, we were playing Toronto. We should have had this during the Montreal match back a couple months ago. But is the French version, the bilingual version, or the English version the best version of Canada? Uh, the final answer is La Marseillaise. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the French Canadians should be singing anyways, but that's a different topic for a different day. Um, now we're going to get some Quebecois, Quebec nationalist uh, yelling at me about this, but uh, we welcome it. Join us on Twitter. <laughs> There's great fishing in Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on to the game. Um, a lot going on here. Um, do we want to start with how often we seem to be hitting woodwork these days? Charles, have you been, keep, have you been keeping count? I thought you mentioned something about this, but I, I, I think Maxie's uh, hitting the post on Saturday was the fifth time he's done that That's this right. season. Um, Nick Lima hit it twice in the same game on Saturday, which is kind of crazy. Um, Only once was intentional just, for Lima. Because <laughs> one of them was a cross that was not in the right spot. Correct. What did we say he, earlier, we don't care how, we care how many. Okay, fair, but if it's in the right <laughs> spot, it's a goal. If it's in the right spot, it becomes a how many. Uh, no, and I thought Lima, like, I thought Lima played really well. He, um, uh, he really got up and down the wing uh, and really kind of exploited when Toronto shifted over to, because they really like overloaded the ball side whenever Austin had the ball on the side. And so trying to hit that long cross that ring can do really helped. Um, the the other thing that I, I noticed was Jafal looked really good. <laughs> um, I thought that his passing in the middle and his just kind of like control of what was going on around him uh, really made him a really natural partner for Danny. Yeah, it was nice to see someone who could like dribble a little bit and pass, not just one of those two things in our midfield. 
uh, to me, and it goes back to earlier in the year when we played Valencia over Jafal in a, I mean, over, over Jafal in a match where Owen wasn't around or wasn't available. Jafal is the natural Owen replacement to me on this team. And it, 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 every time I've seen him, I've been impressed with him. I think people sometimes conveniently forget the kids started something like 20 games last year in DC. It's not like he doesn't have MLS experience. It wasn't a great team, but he got minutes. He, he saw how the league is supposed to be played. Um, he seems to fit the system well. Like I, I like him a ton. Uh, I'll tell you the other thing I noticed a little more on, excuse me, Saturday night. Uh, hopefully that gets added out in post-production. Um, but hopefully nope. <laughs> what, I, what I noticed on Saturday night was, you know, we've been put, watched, we've watched the last few weeks with this new five back formation that turns uh, the wing backs up the field in offense in an attack, whatever side Gallagher is on, he is pushing to the back post over and over and over again, the opposite side. And I say opposite side because Gallagher played on the left this week. He's had been playing on the right when Lundqvist score or when Lundqvist starts, but with Lima starting Gallagher shifted left, the opposite wing back is staying back servicing in balls more and Gala. And they're trying to switch play because Gallagher consistently has open back post runs and being a little more of an offensive threat that he is because he isn't, you know, a former forward. Um, I think that really does open up opportunities for us that you're starting to see. He can, he, he's getting visibly, visually frustrated at times because they're not getting the ball to him enough when he is wide ass open on that backside. And I love that little wrinkle that's starting to appear. Yeah, I don't want to give Josh too much credit uh, just in case everybody gets mad at us about this, but I think that's actually what the system is supposed to do. Um, when the ball comes out to the other side, they're supposed to crash in and be that back post runner. Uh, Charles, are you seeing it any differently? Or No, I agree. I think Gallagher is just a little bit faster and a little bit better at carrying through that run. Um, and it's it's interesting to watch how much the wingbacks provide um, horizontal pressure on the defensive back line. Um, like the Gallagher's goal against Portland is a great example of how, you know, Austin moves the ball up and Portland seems to have like a pretty good idea of where everybody is until you realize that they literally don't have a number for Gallagher back there because they just, they just don't have enough numbers to, to mark everyone. And I think that's how why Gallagher gets so frustrated because he's literally always open. And you're talking about a player being frustrated who's still this team's leading scorer this season. Yeah, and a natural forward. So he's a, a give-me-the-ball guy always. Always. Um, let's talk a little bit about Nick Lima. I think everybody kind of agrees he had a great game, and I want to dive into why that was a little bit. But um, let's get some first reactions. Uh, Seth, you want to tell us what you saw with Nick? I think that was the best game that he's played in an Austin FC jersey. Like he was, he was outstanding in that game, and I don't say that about Nick Lima very often. Um, you get to a point where I felt like he was at, comp- he was confident in his play on the right. He got to a point where he was at ease, which like is not always something for him. Like it is, yes, he had two balls at the woodwork and they weren't landing in the tenth row, but he was making consistent crosses. He seemed composed in his passing. I mean, he, I mean. For a match where, like, if 
in moments where he was directly getting marked up against Toronto guys, it felt like they were giving him, I don't know whether they were giving him more space or he was finding more space, but it felt like it was a match that was really well suited for him. Yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to touch on. And one of the things that kind of bothers me whenever we, you know, we get around on the internet, the Twitter sphere and people go, Oh, why didn't we do this? Well, the other teams kind of, you know, we make an adjustment and the other team adjusts back. The other team is allowed to do tactics too. Right. Uh, we set this up to let Nick Lima run free, and they just let him, and he capitalized all night long. So um, if other teams are going to set up to let one of our players run free and they have as good of a night as Lima did, great. We're going to be all set all season. Yeah. I mean, I could also imagine you're Bob Bradley, and it's sort of I'll, – I'll, I'm, I'm going to switch to using a basketball analogy here because I feel like it's better than using a soccer analogy in most cases. But it's like the team that you look at their guards, and you're like, oh, that guard shoots 15% behind the arc. I'm not. I'm just going to leave him open. He's going to – or in this case, back on back on the pitch here, you're like, oh, he's gonna miss his cross. He's got to do it. We want him running down there. And Nick Lima internalizes that and is like, no, I'm gonna show you that. Like, I do have a national team cap. I fully expect Bob Bradley's analysis of a soccer match before pregame to be that simple. To be quite frank with you, <laughs> that's what I imagine just rolls through his head. Like, oh yeah, like how sense. many bounce passes? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Lima was great, man. Um, he played really well. I, I, I go back to the system, though. I think part of what you're seeing with him is not having so many defensive responsibilities because we finally we do have that three back line as a safety blanket. The other thing I, I want to point back to, we're not giving up as many goals. We don't have as many scary chances against us the last few weeks. Um, so it allows him to, you said, play more free, Seth. And I think that's directly attributable to the system that we're playing right now. So if that suits him and that suits the wingbacks we have, then I love it. Let's stay with it. Charles, anything to add? Uh, no, I think y'all really covered it. I think he, um, I think he looked really good. And um, the only thing was, uh, I actually think this match was a really good exemplification of why subbing out wingbacks and fullbacks can be attacking options because toward the end of the match, Lima didn't quite have the legs to get on some of those balls. And I think somebody who had, uh, who was fresher would have been able to. Yeah. And I think Toronto sat back a little bit and you could see um, if you were sitting up above for almost the entire game, our call them wingbacks, call them whatever you want to Lima and Gallagher were the highest people on the pitch. We kind of talked about that from time to time in previous games. It was almost the entire game. Uh, and I mean, what was the final possession percentage on our part? Like 63, 64, yeah, 62. Yeah. What I'm super interested to see, though, is how much space these guys get in a few weeks once Trayusi's back. Yeah. Because we saw at the beginning of the year, teams basically double man mark Trayusi. And would just, it was the strategy was we're not going to let that guy beat us. Well, we're starting to find a way to score and be aggressive and be smart in our tactical buildup without Jerusi. How do you solve that if you're the opponent now? Because I don't think it's as simple as it was two and a half months ago. But a fantastic problem to have. Yeah, exactly. And I hope we don't go back to that, like, oh, just pass it to the best guy in the pitch mentality. This is going to be better for us in the long run. I've seen some folks saying, well, we should go back to the 4-3-3 formation we started at the beginning of the year. We were pushing the outside back. Hell no. Stick with this. What we have right now is really fucking good and find a way to put Drewsy in there that works to to our advantage. 
But yeah, what, the, what we have right now with the team that we have and the roster we have constructed, this is the style that we need to play. It's, it's really nice to watch a system that systematically gets people open and provides options to where the other team has to completely adjust what they want to do to try to even match up the numbers. Like it puts a lot of tactical pressure on the other team to try to match up. And I think it's part of why it's worked so well, especially building out of the back, um, because it gives our players so many options to pass through to where teams can't do that like they did last year. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mentioned, kind of the midweek and then going forward, there's people coming in and out. Um, I mean, Ring and Weissman are kind of ever present, but, you know, that's sort of how center backs work. We won this game with uh, Danny off the pitch for the last 30 minutes, and we're going to have to do that from time to time. Um, So this, I think, was a good depth win, too. Um, We did get to see one of the funniest yellow cards I've ever seen from Ethan Finley, where he straight up just loses his feet, cleans the guy out. And just sort of goes, yep, thank you, thank you, sir. But I guess uh, generally, and we'll tie this in with the uh, Jafal incident, what did you guys think of the referee? Oh, gosh. Our friends at Pro Refereeing. I think my tone says it all. No, no, it was, it was atrocious. Um, but, like, you get to the point there where it is you have to – I mean, I will give the ref some credit. He was consistently calling almost everything a yellow. Some of which were deserved to be higher, some of which were not fouls. But he was giving out yellow cards, and it was like, okay, it's a foul. It's a yellow card. It's a yellow card. It's, the, uh, thus is life sometimes in MLS. The Alex Ring mildly kicking the ball away while it was still in play one was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I mean, that is a, that's a quick whistle check over here. I know he's not the captain anymore. but He's like, the captain. Yeah, he's the captain of this. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's just like a, Hey, like blow the whistle, kind of wave your hand. It, it's a simple thing to not give a yellow card on. And yeah. I mean, to me that, that puts you in a bind when you get to a situation like the Jafal incident, which as ticky tacky as he called everything else, you would think the Jafal incident was the one thing that would rise to a red card immediately. Right. If, if, Little things like the ring where yellow or the ring uh, foul where yellow and some other soft ones that probably should have just been regular fouls on either side. How do you then justify that a guy being bear hugged and thrown down to the ground with intentional force? It wasn't like a flop. How is that only a yellow? It doesn't make sense to me. That was one where I was I'm watching the game on my computer. I was uh, visiting some friends in South Carolina this weekend. And we're actually doing a roast of my buddy, like a celebrity roast kind of thing uh, for his birthday. And I'm yelling at the screen while we're all doing this at the same time and kind of ruining the whole experience for people. Uh, but Proud of you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but that's the one for me that I will never understand. Because if that doesn't rise to the level of a red or at least a really strong orange, what does? Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Even before he throws him to the ground, it's a yellow card. He's grabbing him and pulling him back, and Jafal's through. And then he does that extra follow-through. And like you said, that's pretty significant force. Um, he's pretty high off the ground. He gets tossed. So I don't know if you want to call it like a double yellow or a red or what, but it's it shouldn't get the same punishment as Alex Ring lightly heel-flicking the ball away <laughs> three yards, right? 
<laughs> it's also it's also just completely unnecessary. Like Mark Anthony K is so much bigger than uh, Sofian Shafal. Uh, like you don't need to do a WWE move to go take the ball away from him. Just like be, I guess he's a midfield, two midfielders against each other there. But like play some defense. Like you can play the game clean, get the ball back. You don't need to do that. Well, and the throwdowns after the whistle too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think I tweeted that like that and the Stuver. Uh, the tackle on Stuver were both kind of orange cards, but looking back, I think that like the the play on Jafal really is a yellow, and then should be a second yellow because it happened after the whistle, and clearly he should have been sent off. Like it just seems like a very um, very simple call to me of like, oh, I was yellow carding you for that, and then you did that too. That's also a yellow card. Bye. Um, but you know, I thought I thought Toronto really missed an opportunity with their kind of size advantage to really like stoke the fuck out of that game, and they just like decided not to stoke at all, and that was a huge mistake. Yeah, are you using that as like stoke the fire or stoke the verb as in the English soccer team, or yes? Uh, mostly yes, but mostly the uh, or I'm sorry, somewhat yes, but mostly the the uh, Stoke City uh, team and okay. their. Um, style of play that um uh is popularized in a lot of the relegation fodder and championship teams yeah uh i did forget to mention the the stuber one uh i'm with you that's an orange card um there was was a lot of pushback people saying like oh that's not even a yellow he's going for the ball but like stuber has it you pull out of that every time right that's yeah, the I same thought... that's the same yellow from the dallas or from the uh playoff game last year against rsl the second yeah, yellow, the... they got the guy kicked off the field. That's our, for the red. The second yellow for the red in the RSL match. It's the same yellow card. Yeah, it's just a stupid play. Uh, but let, let's go ahead and round table. Seth, red for you in any combination? Double yellow, straight red, anything like that? Uh, on the Stuver one? Uh, um, no, uh, either, but I was, I was talking I, about I, the I, either one. Okay, I would say double yellow on the first. I'd still say it's a yellow on Stuver because it's not... Like, if we look at the letter of the law of the game, is that a red card? Probably not. Like, compare that to, like, the RSL playoff incident, like, which was a clear red on a keeper. Like, I don't think that this would it rises to that level. Charles? Uh, I think the Stuver one's a yellow, but I think I could definitely see a ref deciding that it was a red. Um, I think the Jafal foul is clearly two yellows and a send-off. Brad? Stuver was a yellow, just like the RSL match last year, because that was a second yellow that was that resulted in the send-off. Yep. Um, so, but it was a yellow card to me, and that was the right. Jafal, double yellow, should have been a red. He should be off. Yeah, I'm in that weird spot where, uh, for me, the Stuver one's clear yellow, you know, like we kind of talked about, especially the way he's calling it orange card. You walk over to the guy, you say, hey, you know, I'm not giving you any leniency on the next one. You know, you used up your yellow and your kind of warning at the same time. Um, the Jafal one, the way he's calling the game for me, it's a double yellow. Um, I know that doesn't really get called unless you're Gabrielle Martinelli, but it, it's a double yellow. And what's annoying about this is I don't think it rises to the level of violent conduct. So you can't go to VAR about it because VAR just gets in the guy's ear and says, Hey, did you see that? And he goes, yep. saw the foul. It was a yellow. Um, so unless they think he made a clear and obvious error that like, you know, Mark Anthony K came out and like punched him three times or something. They can't go back and give it a straight red. And I don't think it's exactly a straight red. So um, I guess in a mild way, props to Mark Anthony K for like towing that line perfectly. But 
it, it's an infuriating thing to be on this end of. But I do think, like, to an extent, the referee got the call correct. Should it have gone to VAR and been a red card for anybody? I, I mean, I wish I VAR know. worked that way. I just don't think that <laughs> VAR works that way. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Well, that's right. That was meaty. You guys want to talk about the goal? Uh, we'll give it. So, I mean, Diego comes in there. And it's interesting that, like, I thought there was a possibility that Diego was going to start um, on Saturday after going a few minutes on turf in Seattle Wednesday. But it was interesting to see um, Wolf use him in the same role as a finisher of the match there. And he launches a great ball into the box. Um, surprised that Lima honestly connected with it the way that he did. Um, and you have the angle there and Zardes right place, right time and gets it home. And it was, I don't know, two wins against Canadian Eastern Conference teams and um, different players, but pretty similar fashion. Um, both at the last second, both with the uh, striker off the bench. Um, and both with sure that... a ball that hit the post first. Yeah. And uh, it's Lundqvist who sends in the cross, correct? Yeah, I think it's... Yes. Is it Lundqvist? Yeah, it was Lundqvist. I'm sorry, Diego played the ball to Lundqvist. Yes, it was yep. Lundqvist. Yeah, my, my... yeah there's a switch. Lundqvist kind of like starts back and like just does this guy who's totally out of position by just turning around and moving <laughs> forward towards the goal. Sends in a great cross. Um, and then all hell breaks loose. Uh, is it Cascante on the first header? Or does this uh, No, because Cascante is the one who essentially distracts Sean Johnson from being able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then Lima tries the, the red is back head flick, hits the post. And Johnson wants to go forward, but feels as though, Diego, feels as though Julio's in front of him. And instead of doing something to force the ref to call that, he just stands there. Um, ex- still expecting to kind of get that call because he was they, they were all yelling at the ref after the after the play, and I was kind of confused why they were yelling because I I originally thought they were trying to get an offside call on Julio, but they have two guys standing on the goal line, um, and then Redes is just or uh, Zardes is just kind of right place, right time, and puts forward a, a really good good header to to get past right past the defender. Um, yeah, a very good header, and we sort of mentioned it like he places it high. Uh, between two defenders in one of the few spots it can go. Um, But let's talk a little bit more about Sean Johnson in here. So the initial ball gets headed up way, way, way into the stratosphere. (laughs) Julio's on the ground. And everybody, at least where I was sitting, thought the ball was out. And I don't know if that's what happened to Johnson, but I'm with Charles. If he walks forward and quote-unquote trips over Julio, that's a foul and we're going the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, I, mean, I think we, we also have to remember that goal was scored on the south end. Sean Johnson is playing in Toronto, where they have some decent fans, but right now hasn't been that loud. He probably hasn't been in an environment that loud most of the season, especially like 90th minute. Yeah, he had a great TIFO before the match. The crowd is still hyped up. They know what we did against Montreal. There's no, especially after giving up an 89th minute goal at home last week, like. Crowd is will like I mean obviously I was not at um, Q2 on Saturday night but just watching it on TV listening to it, like the crowd was a great voice there he is getting to a point there where like even as an experienced national team of sorts goalie there like I think that he he wasn't in his element there and it showed and like that's that's what a home field advantage is supposed to lead to yeah and I mean you could tell too there was a little bit of like the nervous Frisco energy going around and then um, that ball hit the net and the place just exploded. Uh, it was great. It was one of the better, um, you know, I'm not going to say one of the better last minute goals because I feel like we've had a few that were great. But um, anytime you score a, a goal that late to win the win the match, it's fantastic. 
Uh, Charles, how was the uh, the beer shower? Uh, it was great. There was also a uh, premature beer shower because a lot of people thought that the Rigoni free kick scored. Like the people who were kind of like up into the, the um, up into the left of me, I was kind of uh, at the aisle between 103 and 104. The back and... into the left. The back yes. into the left. Yeah, and so a lot of like <laughs> up up in 104 toward like 105 went nuts on that because they thought it scored. And and me and the the people who were kind of on my row were kind of like that that really obviously didn't score guys like uh so there's just a lot of like nervous energy the crowd was really hyped up i think that um uh you know murga added a new uh song that's an absolute banger that gets the crowd involved and like it really is just kind of like high energy for 90 minutes now in a way that like was kind of not the way it was two years ago good um there was also the uh lungfish shot in between that was really really close and kind of bent around He's had a few that were like just missing. Yeah, um, and I don't know. Who do we think is going to score first, Lundqvist or Lima? Lundqvist. <laughs> yeah, my answer is Lundqvist because of that Lima, like beautiful backheader that I think Johnson just gets the tiniest tip to, doesn't go in. I don't think he's going to score. I just yeah. think he's cursed. I don't know. We, we've been saying a lot of people that Rigoni's not going to score, Redis isn't going to score, Giassi's and it keeps working, Seth. <laughs> it would be great if the season is just nothing but like people just like scoring like one or two goals that we think will never score. Well, I bet like, the kit man won't ever score. Huh? Yeah, Lima eighty six minute against the fire. Stuber gets the winner to get us in the, get us advance us in the playoffs or win an open cup or something like that. Yeah, you know, Vasinen's never going to score, or Brad. You know, Stuber's never going to score. <laughs> I mean, I could, I, I could see, I could see a Leo hitting a cross that's like accidentally. That's like one of those goals that you see. It's like, well, this was meant to be a cross, and overhit a guy. Keeper misjudges the bounce, and he scores. I think Vaisen is going to get a header at some point. Like he's yeah. been, he's had a few real close ones this year. Yeah, I think um, he had one uh, on Saturday. He did. Yeah. I mean, he he nearly scored one. Drewsy kind of poached it at the end, but I think he was. I think he had a header that was probably going to score, and Drewsy kind of like made sure it scored. Um, so I think he's, I think he's likely to get one this season. Yeah. Vice is going to get one or two. I, at Rado, it depends on how many minutes he gets, but he's tall and is going to be a threat in the box on corners. Um, yeah, but Lundquist will get one. Uh, he's just, he's had three or four shots that I, I still go back to the one against Dallas. That was a pure rocket to the upper nine or to the top left corner and keeper just made a great save. Like he should be on the board already, but he'll get, he'll get one. Uh, I love that he's not afraid to shoot, uh, especially on like a half volley or something. Just hit it and see what will happen because we have so few guys who are willing to do that. Um, so I got to tell you my Jossie scoring story because it was pretty funny. I mentioned earlier I was in South Carolina. We had finished our roast and we're all sitting around talking. I were watch, watching something was on TV that we were all laughing to. And then I've got my – Watching the game, I'm like, oh, hell, we're about to draw. This sucks. This sucks. And then he scores. And all of a sudden, I get up and just scream and start running around the rental to the, to the lake house that we're staying at. I'm the only soccer fan here, y'all. There are people who truly have no idea about sports at this group gathering uh, asking, what the hell am I so excited about? Just assuming that I had a bet or something on the game. I'm like, no, no, no. I just I actually care about this team. So uh, kind of funny to be uh, in the middle of nowhere having to watch this game and uh, around people who couldn't tell you. I was I was actually explaining 
uh, on a piece of paper what the offside rule was to people <laughs> pregame to a couple of people who were trying to like, oh, what is what is this? I've always wondered. Or do they get to sub back in? Or how about how often do these guys sub out and sub in during a game? I'm like, oh man, y'all really don't know this sport, do you? So it was fun. Good. Uh, did you make any uh, new fans out of the goal? No, no, of course not. Okay, well, where'd they go? Um, we we went we went back to our subsequent drinking booze and telling stories. So, all right. Well, um, hopefully they remember that fondly um, for the next time you have uh, uh, beer and wine and decide to regale each other with tales of previous times you had beer and wine and you can talk about when you taught them the offside rule. Um, we did almost fuck it up at the end. Yeah. Feel like we have to talk about that part. Um, with a nice little kind of weird ball in that we stopped and then didn't, and then Leo cleared it. Um, heart rate for me was north of one twenty. I don't know if anybody else checked. It was it was around there for me as well. It's like, oh shit, we're doing this again. Yeah, it felt very much. Oh no, we're not going to fuck this up, are we? Uh, a lot of suffering from joy in that moment. Because um, Lungfist tips it and directs it towards the goal, and Vicenin just smacks it out of play, and it's like, okay, we're safe. Okay, yeah. we're good. We're you know what's here. To me, what's so weird about this match? I was reading comments after the game and um, seeing some post game videos of people talking, like, oh my god, we only won one nothing against this trash Toronto team. Toronto had exactly as many points as we did coming into that match. Uh, it, it, this wasn't some, I think too many folks just look at the standings and see Toronto in 15th in the East without actually looking at the points and how the East is a jumbled mess of a conference. Um, that wasn't some lopsided match uh, when you talk about how these teams shape up against each other this year. Um, yeah. So it was precisely as tough as it probably should have been, even though I think and, and we like- played well enough to win two to three nothing. Yeah, I mean, obviously they had a bunch of guys out due to injury, but you still had, I mean, Mark Anthony K has been consistently good against us, whether it was in LA, Colorado, or now here. You've gotten to a point where um, Benedeschi was at Juventus not that long ago. Like, you have guys that are really talented. And I do want to spend a minute talking about, you guys all saw his uh, post-game, Benedeschi's uh, post-game comments, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that is... I mean, I will say in 2.5 years of Austin FC history, and we've had some dark moments. I don't think we've had a moment as dark as seeing a leading player on the team and come out. I mean, I haven't heard a player publicly say anything against Josh Wolf at this time, unless I'm missing something. Well, he's not wrong either. I don't I mean, know I mean, if you're Toronto how you can stay with Bob Bradley at this point. I mean, I think the only player who ever like, called out Josh Wolf was Romania when he was posting his abs on Instagram. But Um, that's different. But yeah, but I mean, that's different because he was already gone at the time. No, I mean, and even Toronto, like, they looked more competent on Saturday than they did midweek. They had K back, they had Matt Hedges back, who's been out for a while. But they just, you know, I, I don't think anything that Bernard Dest said was wrong. He, he was right. They they don't really know what they're doing with the ball. They don't really have a system, you know, and that's that's kind of surprising for um, a coach with the pedigree of Bob Bradley to do that. But it definitely seems like that's not a that's not a comment a player makes publicly if they think the coach is still going to be there in a month. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, um, so it might be a case of Austin being Austin being a coach killer again. That's what we were hoping for. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, what are they going to bring in Pirlo? 
to be their next coach. I, I hear there's a national team opening in Chicago for Bradley, so. <laughs> no. Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to have to do 45 episodes on why this is a terrible idea. Um, so I will go through and diagram every fucking game he ever coached to stop this from happening. Because I have that kind of power, apparently, in my head. Um, going back to the bigger point, though, uh, is the greatest sage of our time dominic toretto once said it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile winning is winning um and we outplayed him to hell and we won the game take our stuff go play chicago on wednesday what's the big deal well and also like i to some extent i thought this lineup was a saving the legs for wednesday lineup absolutely ragoni doesn't start diego only plays 10 minutes pierre uh danny gets pulled off 60 some odd minutes in and some of that was probably uh, yellow card prevention because he had gotten a yellow in the first half. But, you know, this definitely looked like a, like, we're just going to try and, you know, get a result here, but our goal is really Wednesday. And to be able to get three points when you're doing that is just really goes to show the level of depth on this team. Sure, but we yeah. also looked dominant. Like, it wasn't that, you know, we set a lineup out there and we kind of stole three points. We were the better team all night long. Um, maybe with the exception of a five or a 10 minute stretch of the second half, but especially in the first half, I, we, we should have been up one or two, nothing with the way that team was playing. We just got a little bit unlucky and didn't finish a shot or didn't finish an attack or two. Um, but that's where it goes back to the depth pieces. We can now put a quote unquote rotated squad out there and still be dangerous and still put a respectable MLS team out there that can win games and uh, take away points. I personally love that it feels like we're going all in on Open Cup. I, 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 we're this Same. far in the tournament. I mean, you're four wins away, the next two of which are at home. You're two home wins away from being in the semifinals. Like, of course you go in all in at this point. You have Absolutely. to. And, 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 you're you playing have a team to. In, and you're playing a team in Chicago that also played Wednesday and Saturday. And they played almost the exact same lineup. So you're going to have guys that are exhausted who can't, like, Chicago didn't rotate on Saturday. They played, I think, nine of the same starters as they did on Wednesday. Like, and they have a bunch of injuries right now. And, like, that's going to be – and, like, they haven't played a game in 80-plus degree weather like it's going to be on Wednesday night. Like, that is a prime opportunity to win. Also, that match Saturday against Atlanta was bonkers. It was – I mean, I was there, and it is – oh, I would say it's the top five craziest MLS matches I have seen in person. As I was saying in the time before we got on the call uh, here for the podcast, it was that there was a red card in that match that was given to a wrong player. And that was like only the <laughs> craziest thing that happened. I have to go back and watch this thing now. Holy crap. No. Like, it was a second yellow and that uh, there were two guys that tricked him up. And they, I, I would argue that they gave the yellow to him. And like, they didn't even go to VAR to look at it. Like, so, it was... Just and, like, for the record. Oh, go ahead, yes. Seth. Sorry. Apologies. No, no, no. You've been... go, go, go ahead. Bro. You had mentioned heat uh, on this game match Saturday. For the record, we are predicting humid potential rain in 86 for the high on Wednesday. Game time is probably going to be close to around 78, 79. Yeah, but I will tell you it was a uh, it was 57 degrees at Soldier Field on Saturday. Uh, yeah, that's a little different than going down going down south. Well, it, the, but the thing is for Austin, unseasonably humid is what yes. we're expecting. Because I know I laugh at people around here when we get to 50% humidity and folks are wilting like little flowers. And I'm like, hey, this is fine, being the guy who grew up in Alabama. But – 
if it's 70, 80%, which it could look like it might be on Wednesday, that's a big difference too uh, for guys coming down from Chicago right now. Yeah, we will see. But, I mean, they do have – it will be interesting if he plays. Uh, Kai Kamara was out the last two matches. But this is a match that, I don't know, sort of screams like Kai Kamara coming out of nowhere and us having to stop him. So how does the uh, Josh Wolf proving something to his old club factor in here as well, though? Uh, I, I think that's that's a big factor here and that he absolutely wants to win this game. And it's the first time these two teams have ever played. And, I mean, it's weird that MLS schedule makers hadn't scheduled this as a fixture beforehand. But I don't design the MLS schedule, contrary to what a few people might think. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely a big opportunity there. Like, this is this is a game that we should absolutely win. Uh, before we go into the full preview, do you guys want to do stock rising, stock falling from the past week? Sure. Okay. I'll let, uh, Charles, you haven't had a a bite at the apple in a while. You want to lead us off with stock rising and let's do kind of both games together. Uh, I mean, since you're letting me go first, I'm going to pick the obvious one, which is Jazzy Zardes, you know, two game winners in, in four days, uh, you know, really looks hopefully is kind of like turned the corner of figuring out what to do when the ball falling to him. Um, and is really kind of, I wouldn't say like solidified the debate that he should start over Ruti, but definitely like gives those people who strongly believe that um, a lot more ammunition. Yeah. And I think we're going to, we kind of covered it, but like with the fixture pileup we have, we're going to see rotation either way. Um, you can figure out how you want to slice it, which games are more important, who should play when, but, I mean, they're both going to play. We're not starting Will Bruin, right? God, I hope not. I, I mean, by yeah. Will Bruin's own admission, he's only a 30-minute player. So I can't imagine that, like, he would start a game. Yeah. Uh, dancing bear that he is, who did almost score against Seattle. Uh, and probably should have, but um, problem for a different day. Brad, who's your stock rising? Uh, stock rising for me is Jafal. Uh, yeah, I think I, we I, knew that. Um, yeah, I, I just... <laughs> I mean, I, I love the kid. I think he's the potential to be a long-term Austin FC player um, if Danny's situation ever gets figured out or when we sell Owen. Um, as to me, I think he's a more natural replacement for Owen, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah, he, he came in, played a very needed 90 minutes for us to get some guys some rest, uh, look like somebody who can contribute well to this team and make us more dangerous, was progressive with his play. Just loved everything I saw out of him the other night. Also, something we didn't mention, but, you know, he gets body slammed down and he doesn't, you know. Oh, he got right back up in that guy's face. Yeah, yeah he, he got, got in right his up. face, but he was restrained. He didn't, like, try to punch him or anything. Well, the ref did well, a good job of immediately getting – the ref did a good job of immediately getting between them, which I thought was actually really good good officiating on his part. Mm-hmm. But Jafal did a really good job of just standing back up, getting in his face, doing the, like, little push thing to kind of just show, like, you can slam me, but I'm still here. Can you yeah. imagine if he had done that to Danny? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, Danny's temper has definitely gotten calmer. Oh, there'd have been has... a riot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, his problem wouldn't have been Danny. <laughs> it had people pouring in from the stands. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, uh, Seth, for you, stock rising. But speaking of that, I'm going to give it to uh, Johan Valencia. Um, yep. He put in a great shift in Seattle. And, like... <laughs> We were thinking about players who at the beginning of the season looked like 
why did we sign this guy again? Is he finally going to make strides? Is it, like he's actually being a natural part in this three four three formation. That is something that we really hadn't seen out of him previously at Austin FC. So got time in both matches, played really well on Saturday, and not really well on Wednesday, and then was effective as a sub on Saturday. Yeah, um, I'm going to give mine to uh, general center back depth. Um, it wasn't too long ago we were playing Nick Lima as an emergency center back. I think Bring's going to stick there for a while for uh, depth reasons. Um, Radovanovic looked good. Julio looks, you know, perfectly fine. Obviously, we still need to see him a little bit more back from his injuries uh, to know for sure. But um, everything back there looks pretty good. I was a little low on um, Vicenin on Saturday up until that clearance at the end. And if that's all he needs to do, then great but um we have guys we can rotate we have three we can play three at the back rotate a guy and still be fine and that's a really really nice comfortable place to be in especially when you look at where we were at after the violet match um and when you have that kind of solid stuber plus three back line everything else flows so much easier um when you know you have those guys you can rely on yeah it's weird we've gone from having arguably one of the shakiest backline defensives teams over the last couple of years we've given up a lot of goals these first two years to all of a sudden being kind of like okay i feel wildly comfortable with what we have back here right now and am not fearful that we're going to give up multiple goals at any time just because of defensive lapses yeah it's a nice place to be isn't it mm-hmm. yeah and i mean we talked about uh freddie montero with a nice goal jesus ferreira pretty nice goal bad turnover undone by a good pass we're not giving up like stupid goals left and right anymore. Um, serious knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's nice to just kind of not have that be in the back of your mind at all times. And like that plays on other players. So you have Valencia, Jafal, whoever in the midfield, they're all the more confident going forward when they're like, oh, these guys got me covered. I can take a little bit of an extra risk. And it kind of feeds into that progression we've talked about us being way too conservative on the break that gives you that much more a little push to kind of push forward and, and play the ball and maybe take a risk and, you know, whatever the ball goes out for a throw or something, but you're not feeling like, Holy shit, if I turn this over and I take too much of a risk, um, the world's going to end and we're going to give up just like a terrible goal. It's very, very comforting for the whole team. Um, you guys want to do stock falling? Let's go. That's actually going to be a little hard this time. It is. Seth, you want to go first? Sure. Um, Oh, God, you guys are going to boo me, but I think I have to go with our friend Rodney Redis here. I mean, he looked okay Ooh. on Saturday, but it was like he, at this point, I could see him uh, continuing to get minutes, obviously, with this rotation and with the injuries, but he's, like, there was a point there where we were like, he's going to be in a consistent starting 11, and once this team is fully healthy, no, he is not a consistent starting 11 player, so stop following. No, and I mean, he did it to himself, right, with the red. Yeah. Um, Brad, you want to go? The hashtag wolf out movement. <laughs> That's, I, I don't know how you can uh, continuously be mad at, or anybody can be mad at what Wolf is doing right now. Uh, some people are just going to say, well, we're still ninth in the standings. Yes, we are. Okay. I still would look at you and go, this is MLS. Stupid things happen. Don't judge a team on their first 12 or 13 games because you have to recalibrate how you think about this league. But uh, the adjustments he's made stick are changing the formation, um, getting guys in better places. And I, I just I like 
the way and we kind of you mentioned it earlier but creating an interchangeable lineup for us to where we can kind of plug and play some guys and still stay dangerous uh i I like what i'm seeing out of the uh out of gaffer right now plus you know he's seems like we're being competitive and going for open cup which makes me happy yeah and i mean part of the big criticism of josh was we play this system it's way too rigid and he doesn't ever make adjustments well they're playing freer and he made adjustments so we're playing better he's letting them do their thing and he's made the tweaks he needs to do what do we have to complain about my only real complaint is he still waits a little too long for subs sometimes but other than that we're we're all good with josh right now in my world yeah if that's what we're complaining about we're in a good spot uh charles (laughs) um (laughs) my stock falling was going to be uh josh wolf realizing that Bergoni always needs to play on the left because he put him in and put him on the right side uh, in the match, and we just have so much evidence that that doesn't work <laughs> um, for him to do it. I'm, I'm kind of deathly afraid that he's going to do that for Chicago on Wednesday of putting Rigoni on the left and or putting Rigoni on the right and Diego on the left and playing those guys inverted, um, which just hasn't worked in the past. Uh, my my other one would be the my stock falling is the concept of Matt Bersano ever playing a minute for Austin FC. Because <laughs> um, it seems like there's just no chance he's ever going to play. Like even if like like his only chance is if Stuver, God forbid, gets injured during a match. Because I think even if we're resting Stuver, which I'm not sure happens for the record, um, we're just going to see Damian lost there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Loss had a tough goal that he gave up on Friday, but he's looked great all year. Yeah, no, it, it's funny because a bunch of people up here in Chicago are convinced that Loss is going to start on um, Wednesday night, which is like not going to happen. But he is a yeah. Chicago Fire Academy product, and there is a long history of Chicago Fire Academy products coming back to haunt the Chicago Fire um, in their own version of Suffering from Joy. Stuver I mean, is on record as saying he wants to play every match he possibly can this year. Yep. So I, I don't, I don't think he's sitting anytime soon. No, I, I agree. I think I think he also understands that, like, you know, once you get your shot as a keeper, you have to keep doing it. Like, you can't not to, like, you know, hoard it, but you kind of don't want to give anybody else a shot to take. The man job. is not going to be Wally Pipped. No, no, no. Um, my stock falling is Brad's theory on Wolf not wearing Verde because he wore I couldn't tell if it was bright Verde or Seafoam on Saturday, but he had the polo on under his zip up. And it was Brad Verde. Okay. But it was under a zip-up. That's the yes. key. Yeah, that's but we've been saying he needs we, that's to do that. Talk, but that's what we talked about the other week was the primary thing he wears has to be off color from what we're wearing. Seth knows more about this than I do, but that, that's Yeah, no, it, it is a stupid role. Uh, like, I don't know, like at a certain point there should be like a manager uniform. But then again, you see everything from suits and ties to um, people who wear T-shirts on the side. So like Josh is at least consistent, but – I mean, I know it was a little cool by May Austin standards, but like it was pretty warm for a zip up on Saturday night, right? Yeah, especially down on the field. Yeah, no, I thought that too. I'd kind of like to see him go like, um, I'd kind of like to see him go suit and tie with like a Verde shirt underneath like the dark jacket, I think would be a good look on him. 
Um, the other option, of course, is just going full like McConaughey Riddler suit. Like I was going to say, Riddler suit's where we need to go. Um, would actually be like a great look on Josh. I no, think Josh, for the playoffs. Josh for the is never going to be suit and tie <laughs> because he looks like Silicone Valley, our Silicon Valley CEO guy trying to give a TED talk. <laughs> like that's that's going to be his game. Well, the financials look great, guys. Um, yes, I could definitely see Josh giving a uh, a buzzword speech. We are going to. Uh, we are going to work on the interflow of information up the vertical chain. He does love his verticality. <laughs> Let's talk about some Austin FC vertical integration with KLM and uh, Panda Doc or whatever the fuck our insurance comparison sports partner shit is. I think it's the Zebra, but the Zebra because you have been spending too, way too much attention to this team. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if we had a ton of suffering this week, but um, Brad, why don't you lead us off? Uh, your biggest mode of suffering from the past, uh, let's say, post-Frisco period? Uh, probably having to hit pause during the match on Saturday for a few minutes so I could roast my buddy, and then being behind. And so I, I stupidly looked at one thing in the LV Slack, but it wasn't the it wasn't the game chat. It was something else, and it had, like, somebody just put three big capital letters, but I couldn't really tell what it was. I'm like, what, what the hell? And then about five minutes later, we scored. So I almost spoiled this thing for myself. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, did we win? Did we win? And for five minutes, I'm just freaking out. Like, did we actually get a goal here? But I, I think there might be, but I don't know. And so I'm having to suffer on my own. It was my own damn fault for that. Yeah, even when I know I'm, like, ahead or live, I never pop in there. Uh, just in case. Uh, just in case my feed cuts out or anything. Um, yeah, Charles, calls my own you? suffering. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think the only real suffering from uh, this past week was the the feeling of kind of like existential dread after the Montero goal in Seattle of like, oh no, it might be happening. Um, and and you know they did create some chances that that fortunately were saved, but that that was really the only suffering was just like anxiety. Yeah, there was definitely some suffering, especially after the first one went in because that wasn't like they had way better chances before that, and he kind of arrowed that one in, and it was sort of like, oh shit, they finally got one. Yeah, that Jordan Morris chance, like that, almost looked tougher to to miss than than score because he really just he almost caught it too well of like hitting it straight at the keeper. Where if if he'd have you know shanked it at all, it probably would have scored. Yeah, just placed it a little better. Uh, Seth, how about you? Um, I I would go back to that moment uh, we've already covered on the podcast uh, with uh, the Vicenden clearance there. Like mm-hmm. we were going to score, then we're going to give up this goal right to Toronto. Like that w- that would have been one of the worst draws. Like that would have been worse than the Colorado draw. That would have been worse than the Vancouver draw to get a. I mean, yeah, we haven't I'm trying to think if we've played a match where we've had multiple stoppage time goals yet in Austin FC. None's coming uh... to mind. Unless we did it against DC, I don't think so. No, DC, no, no. DC didn't even have a stoppage time goal. Okay. I think it was the ninth. Yeah, I was, or yeah, it was in the ninetieth minute. Was the third goal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had plenty of one stoppage time goal, but like getting to a second there, I was just like, oh gosh, I don't know if my heart could have could have taken that. That would have been, whew, and like it would would have taken away taken away this positive tone of this podcast yeah yeah the other positive positive here (laughs) yeah the other positive that we haven't talked about by the way is uh houston and dallas drew in a copa in the first copa tejas match of the year on saturday night as well puts us a little bit in the catbird seat yeah there was a weird like five minute stretch where i think frisco was ahead and we were drawing and then 
right after that. Um, we scored like almost instantane- instantaneously with Houston. And so we got the best possible result in Copa Tejas and won our match. Um, so it was a good time. Uh, that was our first win since we beat Montreal in the league at home, correct? Well, we technically beat Fiolette at home, but I don't know if we want to consider that. Well, or not yeah. in the league, right? In yeah, MLS. Yeah, in the MLS league. Yeah, that's first, first MLS. MLS yeah. yeah, we have not We have not beaten. The last time we beat an American team in MLS was hit, was Dallas in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, well. At home, yeah. Um, that sort of goes back to <laughs> what was going to be my moment of suffering. So good segue on accident, Seth. Um my moment of suffering was roughly when the ball right before the goal gets popped up in the air, because we will go all the way back to the playoff game against Frisco. And I bought Verde streamers to throw when we scored a goal and I forgot them at home. So all off season, I was just like, damn it. I missed my chance. And then against Frisco last weekend, I remembered, I was like, Oh, I have these in the closet. Great. And I'll bring them. Then we didn't fucking score. And so I was like, okay, no, I'll leave him in this jacket. I'll bring this jacket again. That way I can't forget him. And so I brought him in the stadium. I handed him to the people next to me in case we score. And we go through 89 minutes of not scoring. And that ball gets popped up in the air. And I'm like, this is our last fucking chance. I can't bring fucking streamers in this fucking game anymore. And uh, lo and behold, Jesse Zarda saves my ass. So I'm allowed to still bring streamers if I remember. Um, so there's a, a long drawn out story. But um, if you guys see streamers, it's not me. Don't tell security. Um, and the guy next to me, like, winged his into the uh, guy right in front of us, like the back of his head. So he's not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, we'll have to give him to the people on the other side. I mean, uh, we're not going to be allowed to have paper in the supporter section. Yeah, what did you guys afterwards. do? So here's what happened. <laughs> so the first of all, the TIFO is great if you've not seen the TIFO. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast probably has. But in the supporter section, they had basically, like, butcher paper of Verde or Black. And... During halftime, people got bored and started <laughs> making paper airplanes. And a couple got thrown that just kind of like landed in the supporter section. And people were like, ha ha, they're making paper airplanes. And then one went on the field. And then all of the Austin FC personnel who were on the field freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> then another one went on the field. Uh, and then uh, one of Murga's capos got on the capo stand and started yelling at people not to throw planes at the field. And then a plane hit him. <laughs> uh, and he saw the person and pointed them out. And I think they got ejected. But I think it's pretty clear we're never going to be allowed to have paper in the supporter section again, or they're going to have to organize like picking it up after the TIFO's over. Because it just stayed there the whole whole match. And I was kind of surprised that after the gold, nobody like. Because I thought about doing this. I thought about ripping mine into confetti and then, like, during a goal, just, like, throwing it in the air because I thought that'd be fun. Um, but I was surprised that nobody did that. Yeah, Brad, isn't there a guy in front of you who, like, throws card confetti or something? Yeah, he cuts out little uh, um, construction paper with an Austin FC logo for green, yellow, and red. And so when somebody gets a yellow card and the other team throws yellow or throws red, <laughs> throws green for goals, it's fun. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes okay. they float all the way down to the field depending on the wind. I mean, that's just a tiny piece of paper, though. Yeah, it's no more than one by one. Yeah, that's not a big deal. Um, okay, should we do a little look forward into the uh, Chicago match on Wednesday? Yeah, we can do that, and we can also do Houston on Saturday if we want. Uh, sure. So, I mean, I think we're going to see rotation in both games. Um, I'm on team. Let's go all for the Open Cup. 
Uh, where do y'all land? Uh, I think I am team. Let's win this. Let's, let's win a real trophy. Yeah. Yeah, unequivocally. I, I want the best possible lineup we can throw out there on Wednesday night. I know there are others who will say Copa Tejas match Saturday, play in Houston, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. We, we play Houston three times this year and potentially and four, four. And potentially four. So I, I'm much more interested in the tournament where you're two games away from being in the semifinals. Give me that. I, I agree that there's going to be rotation, but it's going to be a rotation in the sense of, you know, this past match on Saturday wasn't really our best starting 11, and we're going to rotate into our best starting 11 on Wednesday. Well, best healthy starting 11. And apparently what, Drew, is going to be available off the bench? Yeah, I've heard that. On That's Saturday? what I'm hearing, which is on Wednesday. Oh, wow. I missed that. Which is weird because we're so used to not hearing anything about any injuries until after the fact. And so them, like, leaking that is kind of interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that's just like a break glass in case of emergency, last five to ten minutes, tactic-free zone type of sub where he's available. Well, yeah, but if you get to that situation and then we actually score, you're playing for another 20 or another 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, can't play, you can't play in just a 10-minute situation there for Jerusi unless we're up two, three goals. I well, mean, I'd get an extra I... sub, wouldn't you? No, yeah. you, you do you do get an extra sub. What what's interesting about open cup though is it's only an eighteen, it's not a twenty. I have no idea why the open cup hasn't gone to twenty man rosters. It's probably because some of the lower division teams don't even have twenty guys, if I have to huh. speculate. But that you can only you actually are we've now gotten to the point where it's challenging to choose an eighteen. What a fantastic problem to have. I mean, I'll make the argument if Jerusalem's not hundred percent healthy, do you want to waste a roster spot Wednesday night on him? No. But, but I, I like the idea of throwing Drew out there so that Shakiri and folks have to actually think about planning for him, even if he's not going to be there. Oh, yeah. for sure. I, I do like the galaxy brain, like especially if he's not going to play. Like throw it out there and be like, yeah, he'll be there. And then if he's not, just, oh, he picked up, a, you know, we, we thought he was going to be ready and he wasn't whatever. Like you just made them waste two hours planning for him. And um, and you and you get Houston to be like, oh, well, he might not be here. And then you bring him out against Houston and be like, ha ha. Be like what, Seth? It, it, just be like, ha ha. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> evil Seth. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna definitely have to put that in the promo that we have evil Seth on this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, Houston hasn't been like lighting the world on fire. I know they're good at home, but no pun intended. Um, so, I mean, we we just won at Seattle and we won at home against Toronto with rotated lineups. Like, how much are we, if we kind of do the 60-30 thing, if we can get a couple of goals against Chicago early, are we really putting ourselves in that much of a hole? Maybe not. Play, it, it, it's, well, Houston plays Wednesday night, too. That's yeah. the other catch. No, no, it's Houston not like they're Houston getting a rest. They play tomorrow night. We're, oh, we're you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's still like a midweek game. Dylan Wampers Darby tomorrow night. Yeah, so they still get a midweek game. It's not like they get a full week of rest while we're having to play a midweek match. Um, so I think that's a little more square. I could see Houston prioritizing as well um, for Open Cup. You know, you said Houston's good at home. Houston's only given up one goal at home all year. Like, that's a little better than good. Um, they're not yeah, they're Cincinnati levels of good, but they're pretty damn yet. good. Yeah, yeah, Seth's, and that's the point, Seth, is, you know, the one goal they gave up, kind of a 
eh, okay, weird goal because Herrera got himself thrown off the field late in the game too. Um, uh, if you told me right now we go into Houston and we walk out nil-nil, I'd probably take it the way Houston's been playing at home right now. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the Copa Tejas formula, draw on the road, win at home. Um, you do that, you should be fine. I mean, mathematically, you should be at least, but... Um, any surprises? We think we're just going to roll out the what I'm going to these days call a 3-4-3, but it's the same formation we've been playing for a month or so. Um, it's just sort of pick who you want in there. I assume Ragoni will start. Um, Maxi started on Saturday, so we'll see Zardes. Um, any surprises? Do we think Rodney will start? Um, anybody want to take a whack at any of those? He should start so that he can maintain his title of King of U.S. Open Cup. I don't think he's going to. I kind of get the feeling that Diego and Ragoni are going to start with with Arudi up top, or Wizardas up top. Sorry. Um, I think the only, I think the only real question is: Are we starting Lundqvist on the left and Gallagher on the right, or if Josh is going to kind of galaxy brain that? But I mean, in a lot of ways, like this Austin lineup kind of picks itself based on just performances and, and form right now. Yeah, I, I think the only question is Valencia or Jafal in the midfield with Danny. Uh, Jafal, Jafal played almost, did he play the full 90 on Saturday? He played the so full I, 90 on Saturday. Yeah, but he's got three, Valencia. four days of rest here. Yeah. Um, I just assume that's the rotation we're doing. It's not a, you know, he had a bad game or anything call. Um, I'm just assuming Josh has this pre-programmed because you kind of mentioned like, oh, he's kind of slow to make subs. I think most of this is their version of uh, periodization. So you give certain amounts of minutes to certain players uh, which isn't exactly the best way to win games, but it's a very, very good depth and um, load management strategy. So um, maybe we're doing that to make sure everybody's gung-ho at the end of the year or something, or maybe that's just how Josh likes running things. But um, I think we're going to be very business-like sub-wise. Um, unless, you know, something crazy happens and we kind of have to do the, like I said, break glass in case of emergency stuff. Well, you also have to do more load manager this year because we did have, even if it was only two games, we played the extra two games in CCL. We're playing extra games in Open Cup. We have Leagues Cup on the way. Like We are playing minimum six more games than we did last year before we get to the playoffs. Well, and the playoffs uh, are expanded. Yeah, and once you make the playoffs, the first round is a best of three. So, you know, I, I, I'm fine with them doing load management. Um, because like I said, this is a minimum six and potentially up to 10 to 12 extra games by the end of the year. Yeah. And I mean, you know, end of the day, we smash Chicago and lose to Houston, then go smash Houston and, uh, open cup to get to the semis. I think we're all going to be happy with that. Um, I am with you guys like Copa Tejas was nice last year, but let's go win a real trophy. Yeah, I would just say, as someone who has um, watched more Chicago Fire soccer this season than I care to admit. Or anyone else in Chicago. Yes, um, I I can say that for a fact. But um, there's um, that's a team that doesn't get blown out very often. Like, they have a lot – I mean, they haven't – I mean, we're not playing them here in Chicago. I mean, they haven't lost in Chicago this season. Their road losses – they lost in the 90th minute to Philly – they lost a late game last Wednesday in Charlotte, but they were up 1-0. They are sort of the inverse of 2022 Austin FC. They get up early and they find creative ways that you didn't think were possible to blow a lead. Um, I'll be really curious who's in goal for them on Wednesday night. Um, for the fourth round of the Open Cup where I was there in person against St. Louis City, 
Um, they um, they played Spencer Ritchie in goal, who's their backup. Who, if um, anyone has a really good memory, it was the goalie in the teenager game. And even though he's definitely not a teenager, I think he's older than I am. Um, but he's um, in 2021. He only played two matches that season for Seattle, but one of them was against us. Um, I don't know if they're going to use him as the Open Cup goalie or stick with 19-year-old Chris Brady, who made two saves on Tiago Almada on Saturday night that were mind-blowing. And I'm like, okay, like you probably should be in Argentina right now, but there can only be one um, buyer um, alum in Argentina. <laughs> Seth, I wish we went back and looked at their schedule. You mentioned them not getting blown up. It, it are blown out. It's actually wild. They only have two games this year that have been decided by more than one goal. One was against Chicago House. In the yeah, Open Cup, and which is yeah. Chicago House is what a fifth or a fifth division team, fourth division. I mean, they're an amateur team. Like, there's yeah. probably some of the guys that work for like work for, not work directly for me, but like work at my place of employment. And the other was a road loss at Nashville, which okay, you lost three nothing. Oh yeah, the, 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 I did. I did forget about that. Yeah, no, that's, they got, but, that's what got Ezra fired. They got crushed in that match. But that's the only. Two, those are the only two games this year that have been decided by more than one goal for the fire. So it's. Okay, and I guess they, we should probably they, tighten I mean, up. Think about it. And, and they sacked their manager already. And, I mean, they have Frank Klopas in now. Um, and the big difference with um, Klopas in through four matches at this point is that him and Shakiri have a good relationship and that Shakiri actually looks happy playing in the league, which is a weird sight to see. He doesn't look happy doing anything. He looked pretty darn happy during that crazy 3-3 match. Okay, that's terrifying. This... This game, the more I look at it, feels like this could I mean, be extra time on Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Let's I don't know. I mean, that. I feel like Shakiri's only really happy when he's doing calf raises or squats, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all happy to watch him, too. I was about to say, I, I'm sure our friends and the um, Handsome Boy Modeling Football Club are going to have some interesting takes on uh, Shakiri and a few other players on the fire team there. I will say not not in terms of that type of appearance, but the guy that you should be watching for the fire um, is a new signing from Switzerland. This guy, um, Hale Selassie, number seven there. He's a winger, and he has been he's a really fun player to watch, and it's going to definitely give um, our um, especially if, if like Lundqvist is playing further back in a role like there, that matchup could be really interesting. Yeah, I guess that sort of brings forth the question: Who are we expecting to see at center back? Uh, do we think Radovanovic gets the start again? He does have the benefit of being left-footed. Um, so having that natural outside guy trying to play, especially if we're trying to make up some speed, um, I think could be useful. Um, but, I mean, Ring and Weissman have both been great. I know we're trying to reintegrate Julio. I wonder if, you know, there's maybe some – he needs some rest in there or how this works out, but it'll be I- interesting. I wonder if this Great is going to have give Ring some we- give Ring some rest. I don't let, let the three natural center backs play. I feel like whenever you're in a uh, cup situation, you kind of go like yield towards leadership. And I don't know, like it's a tough call. We have four good options. God, that's I mean, Ring, Ring played Ring played 180 minutes. We didn't have. I mean, I think Stuver was the only other guy who played all or no. Uh, no, Vice had played all 180. But um, yeah, we didn't. We, I mean, three guys played all 180 in last week. Yeah, and you would have to think if they play Ring and Vice and then play on Wednesday, at least one of them sitting on Saturday. 
So we'll uh, we'll see. I guess um, we're uh, we're running up against our time here because I do have that rule about not making podcasts longer than a ninety minute game. Um, <laughs> as somebody once pointed out to me, um, we kind of already covered our moments of suffering. So I wanted to do a little little bit of a change of pace here and bring back an idea I had earlier about jersey fouls. And for those of you who don't know, a jersey foul is when you go to a sporting event and you see a jersey that has absolutely no business either existing at all or um, being at the game you're at. So like if Houston is playing Frisco in a soccer game and there's somebody in like a Vancouver Canucks hockey jersey, you're like, did you not get the memo? And so... I'm not going to go into kind of like the greater details of here. Cause like, if you show up to an Austin FC game and like a Celtic Jersey, right sport, right color, eh, close enough. Um, but uh, anywhere you've seen them, I know what my choice is. And I think all of you know what my choice is, but any good ones you've seen either, you know, on TV or at games lately, um, Charles, you're at the game on Saturday. I'll let you start. Uh, I mean, I think whenever I see just like any of the like weird training top kits, I think that, okay. um, I mean, there's some funny ones in the supporter section just from, like, our characters there. Like, there's the the person who has the, the Verde Vader helmet who has Darth Verde on the back of his, which is great. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I can't think of any, like, bad ones that I've seen recently. All of us are pretty clever over there. Okay. Um, Brad, did you see any good ones in the past, I don't know, week or so? It was at a hockey game in Texas at the Stars game uh, here in Cedar Park. Uh, so they were wearing the right sport. It was a hockey jersey. But they gave between the Texas Stars and the Milwaukee Admirals presented someone the opportunity in the front row to wear an Alabama hockey jersey. Okay. <laughs> what? The university, yeah, so there, there's a club team for the University of Alabama, and he had a University of Alabama hockey jersey on in the front row. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely count that one. And obviously <laughs> with your Auburn loyalties that – Gets your hackles extra raised. No, I, I was just more like, I have an Auburn hockey jersey too. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't wear it to the stars because it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. I always rock the uh, Sioux Falls fighting wiener dogs jersey out there. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, it's a great conversation starter. Uh, Seth, how about you? Um, I will do two from my most recent trip to my most recent trips to Soldier Field at the uh, city. Um, fire match um, the Saturday before I saw a person in a Colorado Rapids jersey in a corner and I'm just like first of all the Colorado Rapids barely have fans to begin with like what are you doing at this game Um, and then the one that really threw me for a loop and it's actually it's not as much of a foul but because okay I'm at the fire Atlanta match but I'm also like watching the uh, our match on my phone on and off throughout this that a guy two rows in front of you is wearing a fire cj sapong jersey when he is playing for <laughs> toronto against us and i was just like it, it was do, it was doing a mind trick on me i don't know i'm kind of in two minds about that one because it's like is he rooting for cj sapong or the fire so if he's or rooting like, for cj sapong i get it yes I mean, you're at the fire, like, and obviously, like, people wear jerseys of players who no longer play for a team. I, I'm, I've gotten to a point where I'm very anti getting a player's name on the back of the jersey as I age, but it's just like, okay, I get it. You have your the guy's name on there, and you don't want to go pay um, our friends at Fanatics like $115 for another jersey. Like, I get it, but it was just, it was tricking my head there. 
Okay. Um, the one I saw, and this is, I don't know exactly what jersey it is. There are a bunch of like Austin Anthem, Liz Verdes, everybody has a bunch of like knockoff jerseys. So it was one of those. Um, but it said, and uh, longtime listeners of this podcast will know my disdain for not just Ethan Finley, but Paul Ariel and players of a similar ilk. Uh, and so this gentleman had a Finley jersey, which fine, you know, like who you want to like, but it was spelled P-F-I-N- L-E-Y, as in Pflugerville Ethan Finley, which, by the way, is a great representation of all things Ethan Finley. Um, <laughs> you know, I live very close to Pflugerville. I, you know, it's it's a decent town. It's fine. I'm not, you know, ragging on Pflugerville here, but the way everything has to start with a PF is fucking annoying as shit. <laughs> I get it, like, here and there where it's, like, cutesy, you know, oh, Pflugerville fences, but, like, it gets so jammed into everything that it's forced into things that are have nothing to do with anything. Like um, the field, the 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 high school field there. Yes, that's spelled with a P. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I have um, no problem with that jersey. I actually think that's a funny logo. Yeah, I know you guys liked it because I. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Chat, but yeah. Um, I think we'll. Um, as someone we'll, with we'll a Leanderthal jersey, yeah. like I love that. So. <laughs> like the person or the uh, distillery. Well, everybody thinks it's the distillery, but I was just thinking from the person because I bought that before the distillery ever existed. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure the person who owns the distillery, because they're like friend of a friend of a friend, has season tickets near your section. Ah, that would make sense. So that might be who you're seeing. Um, no, I own it. I'm telling you, that's my jersey. Oh, okay. I thought there was my OG way. home kit is Leanderthal. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, mine has my last name on it, which is boring. Um, I do have the Cheese It kit, which I think is still undefeated this year, but I'd have to double check. Um, I do keep a running record in my head, uh, but I can't exactly uh, mind palace it right now. Um, okay, anything else we want to touch on before we get out of here? I'm good. No? Okay. Um, hopefully that was a nice uh, two episodes worth and keeps everybody ticking over up until uh, Wednesday when I'm sure we'll have an interesting lineup and some crazy shit will happen and... Uh, We'll have some more things to suffer over together. So, as always, uh, on behalf of Seth and Brad and Charles, uh, thanks for suffering. Nice here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory!